0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: If you've been with us, you know the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible with a built-in outline. It's a heavenly outline, I like to call it. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. If you've been with us, you've seen it many times. John says, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. It's a heavenly outline. It's an inspired outline. It's an inspired three-section outline. And it's neat and it's easy. It's not hard to understand. It's not spooky and scary. As some people say, that the book of Revelation is spooky and it's scary and it's hard to understand. So why even bother to read it? And as a matter of fact, I remember, as I was preparing to begin to teach this uh, book, and I remember telling some co-laborers in the ministry that I was going to be teaching the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. And they're like, "What? You're going to do what? I'm teach verse by verse the book of Revelation? No, what? Why? Because uh, it's in the Bible." Oh, but man, that's scary. That's hard to understand. Who can understand it? Well, listen, listen. If we have the Spirit of God living within us, and the Spirit of God teaches us, leads us, and guides us into all truth, and the book of Revelation is in the Bible, then it can't be hard to understand. And it is not hard to understand because we have the teacher, if you're a Christian, living inside of you. Now, this book, God makes it real simple because God knows that we're not that quick. And God makes it real simple by giving us this very simple three-section outline. John in chapter 1 was to write the things that he has seen. What did John see in this first section? He saw the resurrected and the glorified Christ. Write the things which you have seen. And then the second section, write the things which are... Chapters two and three, the things which are. The seven messages to the seven churches which speak of the seven epics of church history in chronological order. Write the things which are. Which brings us to the third section. Write the things which will take place after this. Now the phrase after this is the Greek word metatauta. M-E-T-A-T-A-U-T-A. Meta Tauta. And what does it mean? It means after this. After what? After the church age. After, get this, after the last person has been raptured from the planet. Paul calls that the fullness of the Gentiles in in Romans. God knows, get this, God knows the last person on the planet who is going to give their life to Jesus Christ, who's going to become a Christian, who's going to be saved, who's going to make up the last person of the bride of Christ. And when that last person gives their life, their heart, to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, calls that the fullness of the Gentiles. And it's with that last person that, boom, we will find ourselves raptured in heaven. Is that unbelievable? God knows who that person is. Maybe that person is here at Calvary Chapel this morning. God knows. And when that person becomes a Christian, they are going to be raptured up. The church is now in chapter four in heaven, raptured on a honeymoon with the Lord in heaven. Chapter five, Jesus takes the title deed to the planet earth. Chapter six, After taking the title deed to the planet Earth, Jesus then begins to open the seals one at a time. And as each seal is open, it releases judgment on the Earth. Last week, we looked at the seals, the first seal. We identified the rider on the white horse to be the Antichrist. The Antichrist. This guy is going to come on the scene and he's going to be the man of the hour. The Antichrist is going to bring peace to the Middle East. Now, if you are watching the news, I don't see how you can miss what is going on in the Middle East right now. The problems, that there's always been problems in the Middle East since 1948 when the people of Israel came back into the land and to become a people again. They've always had problems, but if you notice, the problems have now escalated to really an all-time high. The Bible says that this man, this, the Antichrist, is going to be the man of the hour, he's going to come and he's going to solve the Israeli-Palestinian crisis situation. And when that man comes, it's, he's going to make a peace agreement with Israel. And right in the middle of that peace agreement brings us to the second seal, which brings bloody war. He's going to break that peace agreement, which will open up the second seal, which opens and brings about blood and brings about war. And then the third seal is open and it brings with it what? famine. You know that we looked at all of these. And then the fourth seal is opened there in chapter 6, and the rider comes forth on this pale, ugly, chlorine type greenish looking horse which speaks of disease and plague and death. And the Bible says a fourth of the earth's population is dead. Interesting. Now, they say that there's about approximately 6 billion people on the planet today. 6 billion people. The Bible says with the opening of this fourth seal, 1.5 billion people will die instantly. Pretty incredible. Which then brings us to the fifth seal, The fifth seal is open. We looked at this last week, particularly. We saw the slaughtered martyrs. During the fifth seal, it's a time of persecution against all believers who are saved during the tribulation. And then the sixth seal, we come to a time of shaking that takes place on the earth. And at the end of chapter 6, notice, at the end of chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, notice, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commander, the mighty men, every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains, and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice that. So, with the opening of the sixth seal, the earth is quaking, and the mountains and the rocks are shaking, and there is cataclysmic chaos upon the planet, and it is the end of human history as we know it. Now, you might think after the sixth seal comes the opening of the seventh seal here in Revelation chapter seven. Well, not yet. The seventh seal is open in chapter 8. What we have here in chapter 7, and if you're taking notes, or you might want to write this in your Bible, chapter 7 is a divine intermission. It's a divine intermission or a parenthetical portion of Scripture. In other words, during the first six seals, as we talked about, now stay with me, during the first six seals, that is a panoramic view of the entire tribulation period, of the entire seven years of tribulation. So John, when he sees these six seals being open, he's giving us a broad picture. And then he comes back and he fills in the details here in chapter 7. Now, Jesus also uses the same preaching style or the same technique, if you will, He would state a principle, and then he would give an illustration and and fill in the details. So chapter 7 is a period within the six seals. Now, chapter 6, verse 17, we note in our Bibles, it ended with a question. For the great day of his wrath has come, and notice who, who is able to stand Chapter 6 ended with a question. Who is able to stand? This morning, chapter 7, this parenthetical portion of scripture. Chapter 7 gives us the answers of two groups that are able to stand. The first group are believers or sealed servants. We find that in verses 1 through 8. The sealed servants in verses 1 through 8. And then... The second group is the redeemed of the tribulation. We find that in verses 9 through 17. So who's able to stand? Two groups, the sealed servants in verses 1 through 8 and the redeemed of the tribulation in verses 9 through 17. So with that, Revelation chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. If you're there, would you say a hearty amen? Amen. And after these things... Oh, that was a sorry amen. we got to do it again. If you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Oh, much better. After these things, I saw four angels standing at, notice, the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till, until, note this, until we have sealed the servants of our God in or on their foreheads. Notice that. Give me your attention, if you will. Notice at the end of the sixth seal, and before the opening of the seventh seal, John sees four angels at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth. Four angels at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth. Now, listen, people, people who hate the Bible, people who hate God and they hate the scriptures and people who say that the Bible is not the infallible word of God, people who say that the Bible has mistakes, people, say, people blow me away when they say that. Oh, the Bible's got all kinds of mistakes in the Bible. There's so many mistakes and are so many errors in the Bible. I say, really? Yeah, there's so many errors in the Bible There's so many errors. Really? Show me one. Well, uh, I can't think of one right now, but... Uh, Most people who say there's errors in the Bible, they're just parroting what they heard. They don't know. Well, there's some people who say there's errors in the Bible and they hate the scriptures. And they will use this verse of scripture to prove that the Bible is not the inspired word of God. Because during John's time, they would say, they'll say during John's time, they believed that the earth was flat. So the phrase four corners of the earth shows it couldn't have been inspired by God. This is what they say, because he says the four corners of the earth. So the Bible is full of errors, they say. Well, tell that to the Pentagon. Some years ago, when I was stationed with the Marine Corps, many of you know I was in the Navy for 13 years. And of the 13 years, nine of them, I was stationed with the Marine Corps. And I wore the Marine Corps camis. And, uh... I was Navy, you know, stationed with the Marines. Now, some of you know, if you're Navy, they call you a, a squid, right? You're a squid. And if you're a Marine, they call you a grunt, right? But if you're Navy stationed with the Marine Corps, they call you a scrunt, which is what they used to call me. I used to hate that name. How you doing, scrunt? Like, don't make me get a hold of your medical record, man. I'll destroy it. Just kidding. And I remember during that time, it was the late 70s, the early 80s, when the Marine Corps, they had an ad or they had this slogan out there that said this. It said, the Marines are in the four corners of the earth. Now, some of you might remember that. The Marines are in the four corners of the earth. Now, does that mean the Pentagon is stupid? Don't answer that. No, it doesn't. It actually is just a phrase. It is a figure of speech. It's not referring to the fact that the earth has four corners. But it is referring to the fact that it's talking about direction or quadrants or north, south, east, and west. It's not referring to the fact that there are four corners. Now, at the time the Bible was written, understand, yes, the Greeks they did teach that a strong man named Atlas was holding up the flat earth. It's unbelievable what people will believe. And in India, they taught that the flat world was being held up by a huge elephant. Unbelievable. And with all the wisdom of the Egyptians, they said the flat world was being held up on the back of a giant tortoise. Now the Greeks, the Greek culture, And many peoples upon the planet, they did teach at one time, and even science at one time taught that the earth was flat. So many cultures have taught a flat earth. But listen, the Bible has never taught a flat earth. Never. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, look it up in your own time. The Bible says he, speaking of the father, sits above the circle of the earth. The Bible has never, ever taught a flat earth. The Bible has always taught a round earth. Christopher Columbus came up with the theory that the earth was not flat, that it was round. Augustine, who lived a 1,000 years before Columbus, said the earth was not flat, that it was round. A theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas said the earth was round and it could be proven. Now, where did they learn this? They learned it from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. They simply read the Bible. You see, if you read the Bible, guess what? You'll get smart. Say, Amen. Some of y'all are like, "Really? Oh, okay. But if you read the Bible, the Bible has always taught that the world is round. Job chapter 26, this is an awesome verse. Job chapter 26, verse 7. The Bible says, he, speaking of God, stretches out the north over the empty place and hangs the earth upon nothing. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? God is a God who can do what no other false so-called pseudo-God can do. God can create the earth and then hang it on nothing. Nothing. God is an awesome God, amen? He can hang the earth on nothing. We, hang, we gotta hang something. I gotta hang it on a string. I gotta hang it on something, man. I, mean, I gotta hang on nothing. God hangs the entire earth on nothing. The Bible says that He, the Father, sits on the circle of the earth. Now, understand something. Let's be clear. John isn't trying to debate whether the earth is round or flat. John isn't trying to to debate. He's stating a fact of the future. John is simply saying there will be a day when four angels will have the ability to stop the wind in every quadrant, in every direction, north, south, east, and west. Angels will have the ability to stop the wind. Think about that. The wind will cease. I mean, imagine there's no wind. Imagine there's no breeze. You see, we take the wind and we take the breeze for granted. I mean, we want to be cooled off, or it's hot in the house, or something like that. And you go outside and you stand in the wind and you just go, ah, feel the wind in your face and in your hair, or lack of it. (laughs) Feel it on your bald head. Feel the wind. We take the wind for granted. Jesus didn't take the wind for granted. He was talking to this guy named Nicodemus who was a lawyer. And he said to Nicodemus, he said, Nick, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, oh, how can you be born again? How can you go back in your mother's womb and come back out? Real smart lawyer. Jesus says, oh, Nick, you can't understand this. You can't even understand the wind. The wind. He says the wind comes from where it wants and goes where it wants and you don't know where it goes. You don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You can't figure it out. It's not something that your flesh can figure out. It's something that's done by the spirit. Jesus didn't take the wind for granted. We do. The angels are able to hold back the wind. I mean, think about it. What if you're on a sailboat? and you're out in the middle of the sea i mean you need the wind for your engine you need the wind but there is no wind you're just kind of out there just hanging you're going to be a crispy critter because the sun's going to come and scorch you cuz you can't move there's no wind i don't know if you've been to la if you've been in los angeles california but the pollution in los angeles in the city of los angeles is awful It's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Literally, you mean you can't even see the buildings, it's so thick. Well imagine there's no wind to move the air. Maybe children or adults or people, they've got lung problems and breathing problems, but with no wind to move the air, to move the carbon monoxides around, people are gonna die. Thousands and thousands of people are gonna die. The wind is important, this is big. But these angels are sent to hold back the wind. I don't know if you've ever walked outside when the wind wasn't blowing. Have you ever been standing outside and the wind's not blowing and, and, and there's no wind at all? Now, just a few times in my life, maybe I can remember where there was no wind, nothing, still, silent, no movement at all. It's scary, it's very scary. Now, there's no wind. And this isn't localized now. This is not affecting just the triangle area. You knew that, right? Say amen. You knew that. No, this is the whole world. The entire earth has no wind. When there is no wind blowing, there will be a whole ecological change in the sky. Notice in our text, God puts everything on hold until he has the opportunity, notice, to seal the servants of God. Did you see that? Notice that. Now this idea of sealing, you've heard it before, it speaks of ownership. If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, you ought to write that down and look it up in your own time. Paul, the apostle writing the church at Ephesus, he says, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible teaches when you became a Christian and the Holy Spirit was placed in your life and in your heart, the Bible says that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are God's package. You, God owns you now. God owns you. You're his package. You were sealed. Sealed for what? Sealed for the day in which he will come again. That seal, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a seal that God will someday, it's a guarantee that God will someday come back and take you to heaven. So you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Ephesians 4.30 do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians one twenty-two says this, Who, speaking of Jesus, has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So being sealed by God means that you belong to Jesus. And his spirit lives within you. Jesus has claimed you. He owned you. He put his mark on you that you belong to him. And someday you are coming back. He's coming back to receive you to himself. You are sealed. That's a New Testament teaching. Well, not only is this sealing a New Testament teaching, but it is also an Old Testament teaching. Ezekiel chapter 9. I was reading this. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, and even yesterday in Ezekiel 9. Read that in your own time. Actually read 8 and 9. It's an incredible story.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.